flames are pouring from the buildings now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. podcast of AquamanShrine.com and FirestormFan.com. I am one of your super excited hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the irreversible Rob Kelly from the Aquaman Shrine. Hello, Rob. Hello, Shag. I'm uh, glad to hear that you're super excited because I am not excited at all. So this will bounce out nicely. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Nothing has changed then. (laughs) Folks, we're super excited. Fine. I'm sorry. I'm super excited because we are reviewing three big comics in the world of Aquaman and Firestorm. Today we're going to be talking about Justice League, number 17, Aquaman, number 17, and Firestorm. The Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man, number 17. So, woo! Amazing stuff. Going to have a good time. Uh, Good comics we're talking about, you know? Absolutely. Great segue. Thanks. Yeah, I'd be happy to tell you about my convention. <laughs> I figured you were just going to go right into it. Like, come on, tell us about. You are useless right. as a partner. Let me tell you. Know what? You in know, fact, I really enjoyed doing the Power Record show all by myself, and I could just keep going. So you watch yourself. I'm just saying. You know, I turned on my uh, my iPhone the other day and went to the podcast tab, and I downloaded an episode of Views from the Long Box, as I'm wont to do. It comes through my 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 audio here is this episode about Justice League of America. And I'm like, oh, okay, it's Justice League of America, and my buddy Michael Bailey's talking about it. So I'm like, I'll listen to that. And then he has some sort of guest star. (laughs) Would you care to elaborate on this ridiculousness that happened? Yes, well, it was probably the single finest episode of Use from the Long Box there ever has been. Uh, Mike uh, kindly asked me to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Mike kindly asked me to, uh, to to appear on the show to talk about Justice League, and it was uh, a whole lot of fun, and it was nice to have somebody that I didn't have to keep correcting every 15 minutes. So well, I just like how you just insulted both me and Mike by saying it was the best episode ever. I think I so that was nice, yeah. Never mind that whole huge 13 part where he bared his soul uh, and went through his life for 13 years. No, just ignore that. Apparently it's Rob Kelly talking about um, how much he hates Brad Meltzer is what everybody wants to I did said nothing of the kind. 
Actually, you know what? I don't know what you said because once in the beginning you guys stopped talking about me, I kind of stopped listening. Right, it was right. like yammer, 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 Brad Meltzer. Yammer, 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 you know, uh, animated DVDs. Yammer, 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 Michael Bailey's on 17 podcasts. Yammer, that's like all I heard. It was just, oh, man. Nah, I'm just kidding, folks. It was worth <laughs> checking out. Um, <laughs> I you, you know, bail on your own story there. Nah, I mean, like if you're getting some dentistry done or, you know, maybe – I don't know, having to dislocate your shoulder or relocate, dislocate your shoulder yourself, that'd be something to do, you know, during those times. So, anyway, again, thanks thanks for asking. Had a great time at the convention I went to recently. Uh, Is there I another went... convention you could go to soon? Anything like that? <laughs> some other nerd thing that you're involved with? <laughs> I went to uh, the Doctor Who convention in Los Angeles called Gallifrey One. It is the... Okay, they have a very specific way to describe it. It's it's the world's largest annual Doctor Who convention or something <laughs> like that. It's, I mean, they had to get kind of specific. Clearly, I guess there's been bigger Doctor Who gatherings, but they weren't annual. Is kind of what I got the sense from it. Anyway, it was big, 3,500 people. And you know, if you're a Dragon Con attendee, you're like 3,500 people. They fit that in one room. Well, they they purposefully capped attendance. They sold out uh, several months ago. And so they actually capped attendance, which I've never seen a convention do. Um, you, you know, it's like saying, thanks, we don't want any more revenue. That's just crazy. But they have their reasons. You know, they didn't want overcrowding. They want to run the convention they, the way they want to. Anyway, being a Doctor Who fan, for me, has been pretty solitary. Like, it really is. Because, like, I, I, I have, you know, I have lots of friends online and things like that. But as far as face-to-face friends that I can talk to in real life, I mean, you know, I, you're not really a friend. I've never even seen your real face. But um, I, I, I don't have any friends in my real life that I can talk to about Doctor Who. Like, I got tons to talk about Star Wars or Star Trek or comic books, whatever. No one likes Doctor Who except for me. So it's sort of weird. Like, I, it's, very, it's a very isolated fandom for me. It has been for 30 years now. Like, if you looked at my fandom of comic books and Doctor Who, they're probably about equal. I mean, I'm that, you know, you guys know how crazy I am here on this show. I'm that big of a Doctor Who fan as well. Maybe even more. I don't know. Um, so to go out to a convention with 3,000 people that think just like me with Doctor Who, it was really strange. And it was very energizing to be surrounded by all these like-minded people. Now, I also will say, these people, you, you've been to a number of conventions like San Diego and uh, New York and things like that. I think in your experience, it's fair to say at conventions, you know, everyone's kind of focused on what they're interested in doing. You know, it's, there's not a lot of com- sense of community except during maybe a panel or something. Is that fair to say? I'm sorry. I got up to get some iced tea. What were you, what were, what were you talking about? <laughs> when you go to a convention, isn't it kind of like everyone's kind of doing their own thing? <laughs> ignoring yes. Each other? Yeah. That, no, well, I wouldn't say ignoring one another, but, but yeah, there's so many things to go and see that everybody's kind of focused on their own, you know, they're there to see these people and these people are here to see these people. And, and yeah, so everybody has their own convention going on at the same time, I would say. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. This thing was the most social and interactive with attendee convention I've ever been to. Like, they have this thing the night before called LobbyCon, which that's kind of the nickname it has, where everyone just hangs out in the lobby the night before the convention. Lobby of the hotel's packed with 200 people the night before the convention. There's no official events. It's just people hanging out. And everyone is just walking up, talking to each other. Complete strangers. I'm, I walked into that convention knowing no one. I walked out knowing a ton of people. Some of which I, I, I spent a lot of time with chatting with. 
and people just walk up like, "Hey, how you doing? You like to? Oh, what do you like about Doctor Who? What you know this, this, that, and it was so cool. I felt so welcome. It was bizarre. So I don't, I don't want to turn the whole thing into the Doctor Who podcast because I could do that. Actually, I am going to be on Two True Freaks coming up. Um, going to be on their one of their Who, Doctor Who podcasts. I think they're calling it Who True Freaks, and I'm going to talk. <laughs> probably ad nauseum about this convention. <laughs> so if you want to hear that whole experience, uh, if you'd like to hear the story on how I proposed uh, to the man who voiced the Daleks. Uh, ah, yeah, that's a st- I definitely <laughs> want to hear that story. Tune into the Who True Freaks. Yeah, I don't want to hear anyway. it that much. What's that? I don't want to hear it that much. Anyway, so it's uh, it was a great, absolutely wonderful <laughs> convention. I met uh, Marv Wolfman. There we go. Very nice. I had him sign my copy of Who's Who number one. Oh, very nice. Excellent. I told him, I told him that we had a Who's Who podcast, <laughs> and his exact reaction was? Why? What a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> but then he elaborated. He said, what a waste of time. None of that history matters anymore with the New 52. But to hear the first things out of his mouth say, what a waste of time, I about fell over laughing so Oh, hard. I really wish you could have gotten that as an audio clip. That really would have been a great... <laughs> Uh, I'll have to tell that story again on the Who's Who episode, I suppose. But, um, oh, man, that cracked me up. So, anyway, so I, I, I don't want to talk too much more of the time talking about I, I do want to mention one thing about Doctor Who before we, before we wrap this up. Is, uh, yeah. I've noticed that there was uh, a lot of uh, sort of uh, angry reaction to my uh, joking about how, you know, all the nerds and Doctor Who and stuff. And we got a lot of emails from people. I guess we'll cover this in the, when, when we do the listener feedback in, like, a next episode or something. Um but a lot of people were like really went after me for for alleging that Doctor Who isn't good, and, <laughs> and now, but but th- this is important. I don't think any of these people who are criticizing me have uh, the ability to understand words, because I never said anything about that show. If you go back and listen to that episode, I never said one bad thing about Doctor Who. I made fun of the fans, but I never said anything about the show. I've never seen the show, and I would never bash the show without having seen it. So. Just for all you out there that think I hate Doctor Who, I don't. I've never seen it. I was making fun of the fans. It's two very different things. That's all. Okay, everybody. You just heard him. He hates Doctor Who. That's right. Let's mail as many bags of Jell-O Babies to his house what as are, possible. What are those? I don't even know what those are. Do they, do, mail, do they mail, look mail like bag, uh, the redheaded girl? Mail bags of Jelly Babies care of the Aquaman Shrine. Again, what are those? I don't know what those are. They're, they're candy. Oh, well, sure. Send them to me. Yeah, they're like, like a British gummy bear that... Doesn't taste good. Well, British food sucks. So yeah, never. Mind. I'm I'm sorry, fellow Doctor Who fans. I said it. I know. Oh, he hates Doctor Who. Oh. No, I. It's like tickety tack, tickety tack on my keyboard. No, I I always eat them. I do. I like if I get my hands on Jelly Babies, I do eat them and I enjoy them. But like, if you compare them to like American candy, like <laughs> I'm being I'm being uh you know. Uh, what do you call that? Where you're ethnocentric? Is that right? Uh, no. Not ethno, but I know um, we know what you're talking about. Yeah, geocentric, whatever. Uh, about my country, I'm just like, our candy's so much better. <laughs> anyway. And yet it's but, British people with the bad teeth, the irony. Right. There. That's why their teeth are so bad. They're eating jelly babies. <laughs> anyway, we should probably talk about something Firestorm or Aquaman related. I guess so, if you, if you, if you so choose to. Uh, yeah, anyway, guys, uh, for this episode, we are going to do rip through our reviews here because we're covering all three books in Woo! one shot. We're going to do Justice League 17, as, as Shaq said, Justice League 17, Aquaman 17, Fury of Firestorm 17. So without... Yeah. Yeah, oh, as yeah. you listen, Aquaman and Firestorm just came out this week. Yes. Uh, Justice League came out a week or two week, before. A week before. Yeah, the previous yeah. week. Yeah. 
so anyway, we're gonna we're gonna zip right through this. Uh, the last review show I mentioned to Shag, I got bogged down. I got bored hearing myself talk, listening to my listening to myself repeat what happened in the book. I assume that most of you at this point have read the books, so there's no huge point in going into the details. Anyway, Just League number seventeen. We all know who it's by. Johns and the boys. Let's move on. Um, basically, number seventeen opens with. Everyone having learned that Volko is, in fact, the bad guy behind, dun, 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 dun. behind all this, right? Ocean Master is down on down on Earth taking on the uh, sort of auxiliary members of the Justice League. The main members come down, start kicking ass. Aquaman, of course, takes on Ocean Master single-handedly. He tries to convince his brother that this is all Volko's doing and that he's being suckered into this. Ocean Master won't listen, of course, because he's Ocean Master. Uh, now, is, is, is he actually... Well, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. we got to keep moving. So, uh, <laughs> no time for questions. So, um, um, there's a point where uh, the Ocean Master tries to set off one of the detonators. Uh, it's uh, short-circuited by the new Adam, making a little cameo appearance there. Um, little cameo appearance. Little cameo appearance. Oh, yes. All appearances by Adam are little. Um, he tries to set off another one, which Superman and Wonder Woman carry off into the sky, which is really cool. Um he then decides to using his uh, using his helmet of power. He uh, has uh, this large wave of water about to crash into uh, Boston, but it is stopped by Mira, who holds back the water, and then Zatanna freezes it in place. Really nice effect. Uh, Aquaman and Ocean Master, Ocean Master continue to battle while Volko stands by and watches. Um, Aquaman slaps the crap out of Ocean Master, explaining to him that he never wanted to be king. Ocean Master keeps thinking, you know, oh, you ever, you, know, you want to take the throne from Aquaman? It's like, I don't want the throne because the person who leads is going to lead a lonely life. I don't want a lonely life. But he accepts now that he is going to have to be king. And after forcing Ocean Master to officially yield the throne, he assumes the mantle and a giant um, full-page shot of him yelling to the Atlantean soldiers, I am your king. Um, Volko then surrenders, which Aquaman takes by punching him. Uh, um, uh, they then take on the trench, because the trench are sort of the, the bad guys no matter what. Uh, Aquaman then uses the scepter that he got from Ocean Master to control the trench, basically send them back home, which they do. They go home. Um, Aquaman then sends Ocean Master into custody. Instead of sending him back to Atlantis, he puts them in basically you know surface world custody. Ocean Master begs for that not to happen, but... Aquaman won't listen. The book wraps up with uh, Ocean Master in uh, Belle Reve prison, sort of sitting there by himself. And the book ends on a sad... The book and the Throne of Atlantis series um, storyline ends on a sad note with Aquaman saying he's got to go back to Atlantis and rule, and Mira's not going to go with him uh, because Mira cryptically says, you know why I can't go back to Atlantis. So they actually separate. And as Mira and Salty, the Aqua Dog, watch... Aquaman, um, Aquaman has his two has his trident and his scepter. He dives back into the water and heads back for um, Atlantis. Meanwhile, up in the Watchtower, we see different people reacting to this news. Um, Amanda Waller, um, now thirty percent less Amanda Waller, and Steve Trevor say this is the opportunity basically to form another Justice League that can be more trusted because. The original Justice League's uh, PR is is in the toilet, thanks to all this. Uh, Batman and the others accept that they're going to have to add new members. Meanwhile, a bad guy decides to set up his own team 
we don't see who this bad guy is, but he's we see that uh, he's got a whole bunch of uh, pictures of villains in front of him, and he says he's going to start off with uh, the Scarecrow, which is <laughs> always a good element to have your team revolve around is somebody stable like that. Um, and that is the end of Justice League number 17. Woo! All right. Woo! Sorry. So anyway, um, I really love this. I loved, I've loved. i been loving Throne of Atlantis from the beginning. I think it's a great series, and I think it had a great wrap-up. This issue, even more than the other issues, is like this, this series could have been called Aquaman and the Heartbreakers. I mean, it is amazing how much Aquaman has gotten to do compared to the rest of the Justice Leaguers. You know, it really is. Um, in a book filled with Superman and Batman, they get a couple of nice moments, but Aquaman gets like half a dozen great moments. You mean hogging the spotlight? Yes. Yes, he does. And he deserves it. He deserves it. Um, I well, knew it looks like he's off the team after this. It does look like that, but um, I think when we get to Aquaman number 17, we'll, we'll talk about how that's not quite as ext- – it's probably not going to be as bad as it seems in this issue. Well, do, you know, since we're talking about, you know, sort of – since we're in the chit-chat part of it, I mean, do we know? Is he? Do we know if he's off the team or not? He's not leaving the team. Has he been on any covers? Uh, that I don't know, but he's not leaving the team. I'm just saying, Flash hasn't left the team, but he hasn't been in an issue for six issues. Hmm, that's true. But as far as I know, from, from from what I've heard, he's not leaving the team. But this is all of a this is all of a plan. Well, ba- based on the way I saw the ending, like I was kind of like, wouldn't it be cool if Aquaman left the team for a little while and Mara joined instead? That would be cool. That, well, yeah. I don't want to see Aquaman leave, but yes, it would be great to have Mira join the team. I mean, as long as one of them's on the team, I think it's fine. You know, I think it's covering the Aquaman mythos, you know? Like. Well, right. I mean, if they're going to spend a lot of the time in over in Aquaman having him down in Atlantis, yeah. I mean, you're going to have something for Mira to do. Yep. Um, so, yeah, that would be great. I'd be, I'd be okay with that. I mean, I firmly believe that Johns is intending for Aquaman to come back in full form. Um, but this is just going to be a temporary diversion. And, you know, I mean... To be honest, he really did hog the spotlight for the last three months. So, you know, it wouldn't even necessarily be the worst thing in the world that he was had a diminished presence for, for a couple of issues. Time to get out of the way and give Firestorm the spotlight. I'm just saying. Yeah, that'll drive sales. Um, Douchebag! <laughs> you suck. Um, as, as I've said so many times before, you know, the boys always give Aquaman, every one of their issues has had like a kapow moment, some big iconic shot of Aquaman doing something impressive. And in this issue, there's like four of those. (laughs) I mean, it's, you know, first of all, the opening page is a full shot of, um, the lighthouse as it's being racked by the storm. That by itself is an amazing drawing, just an amazing, beautiful illustration. Um, if you took the word balloons off, that could just be a really nice piece of art. Yeah, yeah. And, and it doesn't even important. have to be superhero related. It's no, just nice. Right, it's art. just a nice, a nice drawing, you know, just by itself. Um, I, I spent some time studying the shadows to see if, like, I don't know, if the shadows sort of formed, formed a skull somewhere or something. Because, mm-hmm. like, it almost looks like above the wave crashing, there's two, like, a, two eyes and then. A nose. Yeah, I see what you're talking yeah, about. So, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, and then you've got the two page splash of. The Justice League fighting Ocean Master. How many people are in this shot? Like, I, I got oh my gosh, two hundred. Two hundred people. Is George per- this is George Perez. Yeah, I mean, this is crazy. You know? So you got that moment. You got this one panel shot. Uh, the next page of Hawkman doing his berserker rage. Um, 
I, I like that too. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm really getting on board with the whole idea of this savage Hawkman idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's funny. The savage Hawkman as presented here, I'm interested in. The savage yeah. Hawkman in the solo book, I could not get behind. I read it. I just was like, this is just leaving. Well, no when one. did you leave the? When did you quit reading? It? Uh, like th- th- number four. Yeah, that, from what I understand from Luke, it had a really rough start. Okay. And believe it or not, apparently got better under Lightfield. Uh, that sentence has never been uttered before. <laughs> um, and then it continues to be strong, from what I understand. I should probably stop picking on Rob Liefeld. It's like shooting fish in a barrel, you know. Like, it like, is easy. It's like Phantom Menace or something. Just stop. Um, but anyway, there's that, full, there's that full page shot of the Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. You, you, you skip the whole Firestorm part. What do you mean? There's a page, like under Savage Hawkman, Firestorm's got a moment. Yeah, where he screws up. I thought you'd... And that's what I like that. about it, because he's young and inexperienced. Uh, it is, it is. That is. Reason why he needs the league. There you go. That's good. Um, the, so the shot of the, the five of them coming down from the watchtower is an amazing shot. Moment. The yep. next, very next page is another one with Aquaman banging his trident down onto Ocean Master, and that's not a euphemism. Um, <laughs> then now, you, you, now the, yes. the inking's got to be... The inker's definitely different on that page. Like... The inking changed completely. Like, I was actually taken out of the story for a moment because the inking is so different. It's, I mean, yeah. it almost looks like... Well, they do it, have it, another buddy, someone else helping out with the, helping out Joe Prada. You got Eau Claire Albert helping Yeah, out there, there's Joe. definitely... Um, actually, there's three. Joe Prada, Eau Claire Albert, and Sean Parsons. Oh, Sean Parsons is at the end of Paul Pellet's. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that Eau Claire, Eau Claire moment, honestly, like that shot of Aquaman, mm-hmm. that almost looks like an Art Adams face. That whole panel almost looks Art Adams-esque to me. It's the detail is so there, and the lines are so clean. It's just a great-looking panel, hmm. and it's got cocoon. Yeah, <laughs> you love doing your sound effects. I do love. Um, <laughs> you've got the really nice thing with Mira coming into the story finally. It's going off to the sidelines a little bit. The full-page shot of Aquaman smashing Ocean Master so hard he knocks his helmet off. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got all those, and then of course the "I am your king" moment. I mean, it is just. It's amazing how well paced this story is, and how they still found the room, found the room in twenty two pages, to do this many amazing big moments. Uh, these guys, except I, 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 I don't have any praises left for these guys that are original because we've been doing, <laughs> we've been doing the show now. We've been covering seventeen issues of the series, eighteen, I guess if you count the zeros uh, of these books, and it's like I just run out of superlatives to talk about these. These guys are just in their moment. They are kicking total ass on this, and they are the perfect team for Jeff Johns to me because they are they are just perfect. So I, I really enjoyed the run of Atlantis. I thought it was a lot of fun. It was great seeing him Aquaman take center stage, and it came at the perfect time. If they were going to leave the book, to come on, Jessica, like this was the perfect moment to do it. It really felt like a, almost a seamless transition in a lot of ways. So um, uh, I don't know. I'd say seamless transition because it's like. Their transition was noticeable. Like, the, the, when they came on on Justice League, I mean, it was seamless if you went from Aquaman to Justice That's League. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, it, it feels, okay. It feels like Justice League just became Aquaman. Okay, or Aquaman, I the other way mean. around, actually. Now, you'll see, I wonder how you'll feel next month when the story is about different characters and it's still them. I'm that, that, not even going to see. <laughs> you know, I, I liked that they gave the last two or three pages to Paul Pelletier, who's doing the Aquaman book, as Aquaman goes off to do his thing. It was like... That was like a, like a nice little send off, as if to say, okay, 
go read Aquaman now. Yeah, you know, that, that, was, that, that was a neat idea. Now I've got I've got other notes to talk about, and you sound like you were wrapping up there. No, 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 no. Uh, I was just I'm just okay. excited. <laughs> I, I I really I just noticed a minute ago, and I really like this. Did you notice uh, Orm when he uses his like helmet power, the sound effect? Uh, what was it? From this there? is ver ver ver, v r r. Like okay. repeated, VRR, VRR, VRR. And then when Aquaman uses his power, it's the same sort of thing, but it's voo, 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 voo. <laughs> so that just cracks me up that they took the time to make the Orm sound effect a little bit different. Vowel um, Val sounds are for heroes, consonants are for bad guys. I guess so, I guess so. Now, a couple things for you here. You mentioned um, Mara said she can't go with Aquaman to Atlantis, and he knows why. Right. Earlier in the book, when she holds back the wall of water, um, Orm specifically says that convict can't hold the water up forever. Right. So is there something that I'm just forgetting that like her species, maybe that other dimension is uh, a prison for Atlanteans or something or, uh, or enemies or something? Yeah, there's something. And I wish I could remind her what it was, but there was something from about brightest day. No, it was from more recent. God, I can't believe I'm blanking in this, but there was something about that, that Zebel, where she's from is like all. There was a bunch of baddies were sent off to Zebel. And then, is it the, the Atlantean Phantom Zone? It, it, it almost, yeah, boy, I really wish I could. Uh, somebody out there is listening to the show and going, "You idiot! It's in this." Um, well, it, but, it was in Brightest Day where it was revealed that Mera was supposed to come from Zebel and kill Aquaman. Right, but there was something so that, newer. There was something I just read not that okay. long ago where where they talk about that a little bit, and now I'm huh. just completely blanking as to what it is. So I don't remember any of I, that. I apologize. Whoever's out there yelling at me, I, I apologize. Russell's yelling at his Zoom right now. It's probably Frank. Odds are, when you think about it. Frank doesn't. What? Frank doesn't read comics. He just looks at the pictures. Oh, that's true. He yells, though, so. He does yell, yeah. He's, he's a little off his... He's probably off his meds again. So. Um... Okay, I've got a question. Um, so Orm has abdicated, abdicated the throne to Arthur. Arthur's king of Atlantis, again. Now, if I remember correctly from my New 52 continuity, years ago, Orm abdicated the throne to Arthur, and Arthur was king for a fairly short period of time, right. till the people of Atlantis said, No, we don't want you, you half-breed. Get off the throne. <laughs> and so... He, he was out, and Orm was back in. So now it's the same situation all over again. And aren't those same, conceivably, wouldn't those same people being in Atlantis go, oh, man, it's this guy again? Seriously? I thought we kicked you off once already. Like, right. are they well, really going to accept him as the new king? It's not exactly the same because in this instance, Orm will not be there to take over again because he's going to be up on the surface world in prison. It, it's one thing if your leader says, I'm stepping down, Except this new guy, but I'm still going to be around. They can say, we can just reinstall this guy. But he's gone. It, as far as Atlantis is concerned, Orm is gone. Now, of course, I'm not sure what makes them not say, well, let's go break him out. You know, <laughs> He's up there. Let's go get him. But that's right. presumably something that Jeff Johns will deal with in future issues. Okay. Now, it looks to me, and maybe I'd, I'd have to go back and look at the previous issues, and quite frankly, I'm just too lazy. So there's a research project for someone. Um I believe when he is locked up in Belle Reve and you hear the news report refer to Orm as the monstrous ocean master, yes. I think that's the first time he ever gets the name. Yeah, I think, you, I think you're right. I think you're right. Did that hurt a little to say that? No, not at all. Okay. <laughs> because I, I get the sense that um, that's the, the... Wow, I just got distracted because on the previous page, Wonder Woman is holding... Like, 
Orm's Trident. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool. <laughs> I just kind of assumed Aquaman had, like, all three. <laughs> you know? He's three-fisting it, but no. Wonder Woman's got... That'd be pretty cool if she did some stuff with it. She's she's such a warrior. That'd be awesome. Anyway, um, so yeah, I just thought that was neat. Okay, now, the whole imprisoning Orm on the surface world... I mean, obviously, it works from a story perspective because it's going to put more of a distance between Orm and, and Arthur and create more conflict in the future. But, like, is that the right decision to make for him to be in the surface world if Volko's going down below? I don't... Hmm. Like, Volko launched the missiles, which damaged Atlantis. So I guess it makes sense for Volko to go there to face... And I guess Orm killed people on the surface, so maybe it makes sense for him to face the crime there. I don't know. But it's like, if you're going to arrest Orm, what about all the soldiers that followed the orders and killed a bunch of people? Are they just off the hook? Because they were following orders? Well, they deal with that a little bit in Aquaman number 17. A little bit. So, yeah, let's talk more about Firestorm. You're right. So, um... (laughs) You're you're hearing voices in your head again. He had to do some cool stuff in this one. I mean, he didn't get featured a lot, but, you know, he's here. He's doing stuff. You know, he screwed up one time pretty good which shows his amateurness, which I hope is going to be part of what leads them into, you know, uh, you know, him being one of the members that stays on the team. I mean, just in case you don't know, it's, it's, he is one of the members that stays. We know that. So, and that was also um, a motif in the original book for him. Yeah. Yeah. For him to get trained, Aquaman dumped him in the water. They're training him. Yeah. That's right. So new Adam girl thoughts. Well, there's not a whole lot to react to. Uh, I mean, she's in, what, two panels? Um, sure. But I'm happy that there's a new Adam. Uh, absolutely. Here's a thought that'll Justice make your skin crawl. An Adam. What if it's Gene Lauren? Well, the, okay. Uh, I hope see? it is. See? I, no, 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 no. Just calm down. Uh, I would. I feel that, uh, you know, any of the stuff from the from the previous universe is now null and void. So Gene Loring is, it, it's fine if it's Gene Loring. Because all bets are off now. It doesn't it doesn't have sure. the same nutsy squirrel from the previous universe? <laughs> yeah, I mean, all bets are off. I mean, I mean, you're right. You get a fresh continuity, but still, the stigma is there for the readers. And let's face it, most of the people reading these comics are people that used to read it. Yes. So you're just going to carry that around all the time. I mean, there's no reason for it to be Gene Loring because Ray Palmer isn't the Adam, so therefore, there's no connection to Gene Loring. Well, I think Ray does shrink though in the Frankenstein book. The, okay, oh, does he? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't read the book. I hear it's great, but I don't read it, okay. so I don't know for sure. Okay. Um, I, maybe he doesn't drink. I don't know. Somebody write in. Tell us. So, um, I don't know. I just I kind of hope it's not Gene, you know? Maybe it could be, like, a Ryan Choi girl. I'd be fine with that. Well, you know, female <laughs> version. Well, Ryan Choi's great, but, it, you know, whatever. Make it a female version of him. I don't care. So, there, there are you now three tridents floating around, and Aquaman's, he's, like, tripping over these... Or scepters, whatever you want to call them. Um, so, what's he going to do with them all? <laughs> They're going to make great action figure accessories. That's all. Oh I gosh. <laughs> okay. Okay. But I should have mentioned the seahorses again. Oh my god, they're so cool. <laughs> like these giant seahorses are so awesome looking. These guys, yeah, these guys. You know, <laughs> they really. It's yeah. amazing. All right. The, the parallels at the end are great. The the. What was that six panels across of you get two panels from Justice League of America number one and I think the dialogue's literally lifted out of Justice League of America number one if I remember right 
you get great shots of, of Batman saying, we need to do what we haven't done before. We open our ranks, which is just great because he looks so determined yet almost disappointed or just like <laughs> resigned to like, you know, the mistake he's made previously, you know, mm-hmm. and then this, this cadre that I assume is the society we keep hearing about. I don't know for sure. But I assume it's either the society or it's going to be an unjustice gang. You've got a guy with gloves and a cane. So I don't know. It doesn't jump out at me immediately who that could be. But the people involved, you can see in the background, I mean, you can see Captain Cold. You can see Scarecrow. You can see Cheetah. You can see Felix Faust. You see me, uh, Poison Ivy. It's like Grodd. Grodd, definitely. Captain That's Cold. Copperhead or Killer Croc? I'm going with Copperhead. Okay. I think it's Captain uh, Cold on the far left. That is Captain Cole on the far left. You see Killer Frost. I just now, this very second, noticed it. Behind the T of Throne is Killer Frost's uh, snowflake pendant with some boobies. Uh, oh, there's Ocean Man. Uh, there's uh, Black that. Mana. What's that? I didn't miss that. <laughs> but she's, she's a healthy young girl. Um, there's Black... What's that? Never mind. Technically, I think that's... I, technically, this would be, I think, Killer Frost's first appearance since Firestorm number two or three. Right here. Actually, her first real appearance as Killer Frost is just her breasts. It's, I'm not, I'm just stating facts. I'm not being a pervy 13-year-old. I'm just stating facts. Okay. Now, you think that's maybe Blockbuster behind Cheetah? Uh, hmm. Hard to, s- I, you know, I really can't tell. No, and I don't know who the green helmeted guy is. I don't know who that is. No, me neither. Mm-hmm. Like I said, basing your team around Scarecrow, always a good idea. <laughs> well, it makes me wonder if it's Lex Luthor who's doing this then, because Lex and, and Scarecrow kind of got connected shortly before the New 52 started, And but given Green Lantern continuity has continued, I think it's still part of continuity, because Green Lantern, or, I mean, Lex Luthor was hunting down people who had been involved with the, the Green Lanterns uh, during... Blackest Night, remember how they all got powers and Lex became uh, an orange lantern or whatever for yes, a while? Yes, yes. Yeah. I think he, like, hunted down people trying to get his orange ring back, if I remember right. So, anyway, it's just a nice These are. It's just a nice page of parallels of team building. So, kind of gets you excited. I'm looking forward to whatever's going to happen with Justice League of America. Um, I read the first issue with that. It wasn't bad. Uh, it wasn't great. It was just a whole lot of, it was like a whole, pay, a whole comic of foreshadowing, you know. And it was like, okay. Um, this would have made a great, like, zero issue, you know, kind of thing. So, um, you know, I like a lot of the characters on the team, so I'm interested to see them interact. And, you know, I guess before we before we go to break, you should go and go. We really should mention Vibe number one, so why don't you go ahead and get that out of your system. Um, vibe number one was published. <laughs> okay. I actually haven't read it yet. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> uh, I, I've, I've been running nonstop for so long since, since the convention and work and everything and family, like, pull the curtain back. Today's my daughter's birthday that we're recording. So I just, I've been, I've been very busy. Um, I, I have started reading it three times, but I, I, it's always at one thirty in the morning and I'm absolutely exhausted and I fall asleep on the third page. So I don't know what happens yet. True, not bad. True, sad. Aw. I mean, I am excited. I mean, you know, I love me some vibe. Yeah. So, and it's got Detroit and you know, he's, he's, he's vibrating and stuff. <laughs> you know, I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to it. We'll have he's to not Paco we'll have... anymore, though. Oh, he isn't. No, he's he's a uh, Cisco now. Okay. And, we'll we'll uh, have to devote a whole episode of the show to this. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> um, or we'll do our spinoff podcast or something. Yeah, there we go. Somebody somebody dinged us for saying 
you guys say you only have the the the, the uh, fire and water family of podcasts, and you only have two podcasts. And I'm like, well, give us time. So maybe the vibe podcast is a reason to start a third show. Somewhat. When did when did this happen? Who dinged us for this? Uh, I don't know. It's a couple of weeks ago. Somebody wrote me and said, "You is an email to the fire and water show," and they said, "You guys only have two podcasts. Why do you call yourselves a family of podcasts?" Oh no, this was on Facebook. It's on Facebook, and I wrote back and I said, "You got to give us time. You know, it's just the two of us." Two people aren't a family. I well, according to this person, I guess not. Well, the, well, wait. It's more. It's, it's it's me. It's you. It's Firestorm. It's Aquaman. Well, I think he was saying. I know. You know, family of podcasts. Presumably, I know. But more than two podcasts is technically a family. I think so. I, I was totally. We had okay one, with and it. we had an offspring. Yes, I'm totally all right with it. It's, I'm just saying. Some of our fans are tough. And the birthing um, pain. Birthing pants are tough. Absolutely. Absolutely. We you recorded know, that first episode a lot. <laughs> I realize that we've now, this is our 51st show together. Is that counting who's who? Or yes, whatever? counting who's who. We count who's who shows. 51st. 51 shows. Yeah, shame there's never going to be a 52nd. Okay. <laughs> it's the new 52. Uh, oh! Yeah, okay. Okay. Let's, I, let's go out on that. Um, All right. Well, Shag, what, hey. are, what are we going to listen to on our break? You are, you are going to listen, my friends. In fact... If whatever you're doing, just stop. Like, if you're multitasking and you're at the office and you're working, or if you're driving your car. Or if you're reading right, vibe number one, stop. Or you're reading vibe number one while you're on the crapper, you know, whatever. Just take a moment, pause whatever you're doing, and give 100% of your attention <laughs> to what's coming up next. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have a song for you uh, written by Mr. Luke Dobb. Uh, it's about a certain person with a fiery personality. Hey, Ronnie, are you ready? You do know we're about to do a musical number, don't you, Jason? Uh-huh. I'm the one with the brains. <sighs> I'm the brawn. And when we get together, we get our hero on. I'm a book-learning guy. Got that right. A real sensation. I've got the power of transmutation. Oh, oh. It feels so swell. Whoever thought two minds could work together so well. Oh, oh, oh. So grand, the surge of power when we touch our hands. Oh, oh, oh. we're two of a kind. Oh, 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 one body with two minds. When we transform, we become the firestorm. All right, Jason, go on. I'm the one with the brawn. I'm the brains. Put us both together and we'll fan the flame. I'm the one with the punch. Go get him, Ronnie. I've got the muscle. When danger's near, I'm the one who brings the hustle. Oh, whoa. It feels so grand. So many awesome powers at our command. Oh, whoa, whoa. We're a tale of intrigue. Do you think they'll ever let us in the Justice League? Uh-oh-oh. We're two of a kind. Uh-oh-oh. One body with two minds. When we transform, we become the fire. We become the fire. I woke up from a nightmare. I was burning in my dreams. Don't even know how I got there, but I heard the people scream. Whoa, a firestorm! A firestorm! 
the brains. I'm the brawn. Hey, what's your dad doing dating my mom? Hey, it's not what it looks like. Huh, is that so? Then in study hall, you better leave my girlfriend alone. Whoa, whoa, it feels so fine. Please don't forget about Professor Stein. Oh, whoa, we don't kiss and talk, but we once kind of made out with Firehawk. Ah, she's hot. Totally. Uh, uh, oh, we're two of a kind. One body with two minds. When we transform, we become the fire, a raging, burning fire. We become the fire storm. That was Two of a Kind by Mr. Luke Dobb, and I am head over heels in love with this song. Uh, this man is a master. I mean, I didn't, I didn't say it publicly before, but when he did that Aquaman song, the was it Son of a Lighthouse Keeper? Yes, that was called? yes. Like, I love that song, but like a piece of me was so sad and so jealous. It's like, Aquaman got this amazing song. <laughs> Poor Firestorm. You know, as I cried myself to sleep at night. Um... But, you know, but I was thrilled because the song was so great. Now I'm like, ah, oh, Coleman's got it. I mean, Firestorm's got an amazing song by Luke Dobb, too. Oh, my God, this is great. <laughs> so, ah, man, I loved it. Yeah, Luke, as we said, Luke is just annoyingly talented at, at way too many things. The most dastardly creative man alive. Man, thank you, Luke. Absolutely loved it. I know the fans at home loved it. You should definitely put it out there for people to buy it. And, um... All 15 Firestorm fans, I'm sure, will buy it. And, uh... <laughs> I did one myself. 15 I, bucks in Luke's pocket. So, uh... Okay, so anyway, Aquaman number 17 uh, by Jeff Johns, Paul Pelletier, and Sean Parsons. It is Throne of Atlantis epilogue. Um, the issue opens on a very sad image of uh, dying, bloodied whales. That is very, very sad to me. Um, it's a bunch of whalers that are attacking these whales. They are getting intercepted by the Sea Devils, who I think that might... Is that their first appearance in the New 52, the Sea Devils? It sure seems like it. I mean, it's it's definitely their first meeting with Aquaman, which is surprising to me. I I expected more of like, oh, it's you, Dane, you know. But um, I'm trying to remember if they were maybe in a a DC Comics Universes Presents or whatever the heck that book was called. Um, All right, so anyway, well, anyway, we're getting back. So anyway, the Sea Devils show up. 
they try and stop the whalers. The whalers have this weird Atlantean gun, and they're going to fight them up. And like, the sea devil's like, where the hell did they get that thing? Before they can fire it, a trident shows up and it gets thrown down its barrel. The thing explodes, and of course the trident's been thrown by Aquaman. Aquaman pulls up out of the water along with some of his Atlantean army. They go after the whalers. Aquaman says, basically, you guys are above your um, the quota that you're like legally allowed to hunt. And the one, the sort of, I guess, head whaler guy pulls a gun, and Aquaman just lifts him up out of the air and basically just says, you know, I don't you're, you're in violation of law, that's the end of it. Meanwhile, one of the Atlantean army guys, a guy named uh, Merck, is, wants to just pound all these whalers into, into kelp here. Um, he's got this weird, like, hook handy thing, and he's going to, like, cut this guy's throat. Aquaman, what? what? He is the Peter David Aquaman. Okay. Well, I mean, his, his costume, his, his hook hand, all okay. of it, he's, he's designed to look exactly like the... Other than the hair, to look like Peter David Aquaman. Okay, all right, jeez. That's, that's I'm just saying, you call it weird hooky thing. Well, it, so. It's not all right. Oh, I just miss doing the Power Records. Um, <laughs> Go do your own little podcast. I about think I'm going to add to the family of podcasts. Um, all seven people will really enjoy that. And then you could talk about some Treasury editions at the same time. That sounds like an awesome show. Why don't you do a mash podcast while you're out? I do. Um, anyway. <laughs> Merck, Merck is basically saying, you know, hey, you know, uh, the, the old guy that was uh, in charge wouldn't have let these people live. And Aquaman is sort of saying, well, I'm done. you know, that's not the way we're going to do things. And Merck isn't all too happy about that. But he sort of decides to allow, you know, he's going to listen to Aquaman sort of for now. Aquaman and Sea Devils have a little bit of a spat back and forth. Aquaman jumps into the water and has a nice moment where he communicates with one of the whales that is dying. And that is it's probably my favorite part of the book, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, meanwhile, we see that somebody in a giant underwater diving suit is, uh, fu- is tasked with the job of finding the lost Atlantean uh, weaponry. He points Somebody? Just say his name. What? Oh, for gosh. Thanks. Well, I'm I- just saying, you make it all mysterious like some stranger, but... There's no mystery as to who the character is. All right. Anyway, Aquaman and Amanda Waller talk up, up on the surface. She sort of asks him, well, you know, points out that you're sort of a man without a country here. The, the, you can't go back to the Justice League and Atlantis don't trust, Atlantis doesn't trust you. So why are you even doing all this? Why are you making all this effort to find out to find out all the Atlantean weapons and uh, try and bring these two worlds together? Aquaman doesn't answer and just simply dives back into the water. Right at that moment, she gets on the phone and tells a bunch of people whom we don't see at the moment, if you're going to go after Mira to go do it now, great. And we flash, of course, to Amnesty Bay, and we see Mira shopping for groceries, <laughs> where she has money, whereas, where she has a wallet there, but okay. Um, and a bunch, <laughs> a bunch of cops... She, she's... Never mind. Yeah, yell at, please, just insert 13-year-old boy joke here. Um, you know... Like That's for Aaron's wife. Yeah, really. <laughs> anyway, a bunch of cops show up with their their guns drawn, and they're saying, "You better come with us." Um, okay. We cut back to the ocean, uh, and there's Aquaman talking to another one of his whale pals. He sends out a telepathic signal, leading to a wonderful two-page shot of him talking to like this massive army of sea creatures, and he apologizes for having been gone and saying that uh, he won't fail them again. 
and it's a, really a beautiful moment. Anyway, we follow the sounds all the way to Antarctica. Uh, Aquaman's telepathic commands are picked up by this creature that's in a cave deep down underneath the water, and he sort of it says to himself, "King of the Seven Seas, how wrong you are." And then it's the next death of a king. Um, then you get a crappy five-page preview of Constantine. Yeah, I don't. We're not going to talk. Who cares? So, um, <laughs> of of the issues Paul Peltier has done so far, this one was my favorite one. I think he did. His, I think he did the best work he's done so far in the book in this issue. I think the two-page spread of him with the sea creatures is beautiful. Um, it's. I mean, it's. That's it's, that's one of my favorite moments of the Aquaman series yet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's, uh, as a phrase I use, a kapow moment. And, you know, the, the, it's nice that the kapow moment could be transferred, you know, from the boys to somebody else. It's a, it's a great, I mean, the, the image is wonderfully composed, and that's that's Pelletier's job. Then it's beautifully drawn, and that's Pelletier, and then Inker Sean Parsons. And then, of course, the colors are just drop-dead gorgeous, and that's Rod Reed. Yes. Uh, I mean, this is really, like, a, a wonderful showcase for him. Um I mean, this, you take out the word balloon, this would be an amazing poster. Yes, I, I yes, absolutely agree with that. I think it, it is absolutely beautiful. They did a great job. Because um, if you take out the word balloon, you can interpret this a whole bunch of different ways. You know, them paying homage to him, him being sorry. I mean, you could just, oh, it, it is honestly, I mean, it's, I love the boys. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is the best drawn page of the series. It's certainly, I would say, one of the best drawn pages of the series. Yeah. But yeah, just, yeah. just the layout, the impact of, of this page. I think, to me, growing up, this is what Aquaman was about to me growing up as a kid. This page right here. Mm-hmm. It was all about being the king of all the creatures that live under the ocean. Not Atlantis, but all the creatures that live in the ocean. And this was it. And wow, it just, I, I, I can't stop talking about this page. I'm just totally in love with it. Yeah, I, I, this is really I think, one of the great moments of the series. And it's nice that, you know, that, that, that I think Paul Tier is coming into his own on this on this book so far. And this is really, really nice. One of my favorite elements of this character was always that, it always was that he that he is not so much the commander or the king, but, but he is friends with all the creatures of the sea and his relationships with them. And the sort of um, kindness that he uh, shows them. Um, that was important to me as a kid, and, and it's one of my favorite parts of, of the character. So these couple of pages here where he talks with these whales, um, the one where the one the whale is dying, which to me is very upsetting. I, I, you know, I've seen you know, some shows and stuff about whale killing, and it's very, very upsetting to me. And so, you know, it's brutal. And, and it's brutal. And, and you know, this, this highlights that Aquaman as a character is always going to be somewhat compromised because he's talking about you know, going after these whalers because they're past their quota. Well, that means that there's a, there is a quota that he is allowing to go on. You know, I mean, imagine knowing that the surface world is killing a bunch of your friends on a mass scale every day, and you have to accept that. That's a pretty tough thing, probably, for him to, to, to deal with. It's sort of like, it would be, you know, not that far removed from saying, okay, Batman... Uh, we're going to allow the members of the Arkham Asylum, we're going to allow the inmates of Arkham Asylum to kill X number of Gothamites per day. But once they go past that number, then you can arrest them. Well, it's, it's, I think it's more like, because, um, I mean, Aquaman eats seafood himself. Make no mistake. We've seen it, you know. So it's, I think it's more like uh, maybe Animal Man acknowledging a chicken farm 
yeah. or something and saying, well, okay, just, you know, be nice about it. Keep it under, you know, whatever. Follow your follow your rules. Don't 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 be inhumane to the chickens, but allowing the chicken farm to go on, right. you know, or something like that. Well, I, right. I mean, he, he allows it. But I mean, I'm still, it's, I'm sure it's still something he enjoy, you know, likes. I mean, the, the whole issue of what Aquaman eats is something that they've had to get into a little bit, but they can't get into too deeply because, you know, was the guy surviving entirely off of like plankton and kelp? No, he's got a meeting, so, you know. So that's that's another topic for another issue. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, no, no. I mean, it's you know, it's part of it. It's part of the character. Um, can can we? By the way, I agree. I love the whaling theme of the issue. I liked. I like them getting a little environmentalist. That's one of the things I liked about the uh, Sean McLaughlin. Was that his name? Sean McLaughlin. Yeah, the Sean McLaughlin thirteen issue series. They did yes. some nice stuff mm-hmm. there too. Um, I just want to start from the very beginning of this, like the cover of this issue. Mm-hmm. What the hell does that mean? The cover has nothing to do with the comic whatsoever. I'm going to you're, you're right. At first glance, it's like, well, what does that do with anything? I am going to assume, and maybe this is me doing the work for them, that that is what the whalers saw, um, like, as Aquaman's ripping through the bottom of the boat there. Like, th- like that could be like a hull that he's ripping through um, as the water is rushing through the uh, bottom of the boat there. I, I'm probably stretching. But that's, I think you are. Because that looks more like Aquaman is locked in a cage right. underwater, and he is anxious to get out. Yes. I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm owning up to the fact that I'm probably pushing it a little. Now, maybe by the end of this storyline, that cover will make sense. Right. And make a nice graphic novel cover or something. I don't know. but Because we know there's something going on with an Ice King coming up, which I think we saw on the last page here. Right. But yeah, that was like I, I after when when you were doing your review, I flipped the cover and was like, "Wait a minute." <laughs> so, do you feel like this story was as well constructed and dialogued and written as previous Jeff Johns issues of Aquaman? Uh, yeah. I mean, some of the dialogue gets a little thick. I mean, his the page with him and Amanda Waller is talking, talking, talking. But but yeah, I mean, it, it sort of it, it. You know, the prologue and the epilogue are. You know, quieter stories than the than the meat of the the story that was in the in the middle, which is how it should be. You know, it, it builds up and then it got hit a fever pitch and then sort of slows down here. So I like the the angle that they're doing here of Aquaman sort of being a man with without two countries, kind of. Um, I think that's interesting and it makes him even more heroic that he's willing to give up being with Mira to to do his duty. That, that's a pretty big sacrifice. I know I wouldn't make that sacrifice. Um, so. Yeah, I, I've, I said I've been in, in, enjoying this quite a bit. There hasn't been an issue of Aquaman I haven't liked. There's been some I've liked less than others, but there hasn't yeah. been one I haven't liked, and this one I liked quite a bit. Okay. Now, I, I did feel... I, now, going back to Merc, I do like that they put him in the Peter David Aquaman costume. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I, I like what the character represents. He conveys a thought process that we need to know exists within the Atlanteans. However, I did feel it was a bit, I don't know, either too on the nose or a little too heavy-handed, maybe. It was just a little too like, okay, I got it. I get it. Yes, I understand. So, I don't know. Like, does that make any sense? No, no, I I can see that. Yeah, I totally can understand that. So, uh, I thought his name was kind of funny, too, because it makes you know, murky, deep water and stuff like that. So, I did like, I'm sorry, one, one thing about Merc, though. I did like the nod to 
previous Aquaman villains that we have not yet seen in the New 52, when Merck mentions that he saved or- or Orm's life from the Fire Trolls in the Deep Six. Yes! The Fire, yes. The fire Trolls are from Aquaman number 1, 1962. Is that Aquaman number 1 or the Showcase? Number? No, Aquaman number 1. I thought it was in the showcase issue. No, okay. Yeah, I'll go number one. And then the Deep Six, of course, who we goofed on quite thoroughly on the Who's Who episode. Well, it makes sense that they would have fought the Deep Six with um, with, with Apocalypse coming to Earth five years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. You know, that really would have made sense. Now, just to, for those of you who are on the edge of your seat, who Rob just left this, built this wonderful, amazing mystery surrounding the person scavenging the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> I'm like Agatha Christie. It's a, it, it's the scavenger. They make no bones about it. He's wearing the scavenger's mask. They don't say his name, but he has scavenged all the weapons from the bottom, and he's wearing the scavenger's mask. Now, he does have uh, henchmen, I noticed in this. I didn't notice that the first time I read it. Uh, he's got henchmen helping him. Uh, I, just, I, I, I dug seeing the scavenger in this role. And you know, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. He's doing legitimately what his name should be. So that was cool. Um... I love the Sea Devil stuff, by the way. Like, I've always had a weird, sick, like, love of the Sea Devils. They're just, like, so cool. I love the, like, environmental hero terrorists kind of guys, you know? So I've never gone back and read the classic 60s stuff. I don't know if it would appeal to me, but I love it when they cameo in books. It's just, I, I cheer when they show up. Yeah, and they were in Sean McLaughlin's run as well. Yes, they were, and they were in sort of, uh, they were in sort of Atlantis. Sort of Atlantis, yes. I yeah. mean, it's natural, you know what I mean? It's like, it's just a natural thing to work them in they're all they're all walking working the same uh, same uh, side of the street as it were now admittedly it's 70 percent of the planet so i mean how often do we run into somebody in china <laughs> often. so you know there's a bit of a stretch but you know whatever now the the mara scene you didn't come right out and say it but i mean if, if folks didn't realize it the mara scene where she's in the grocery store is an immediate callback to i think it was issue number five i don't know the solo mirror issue yeah, the solo mirror. Number six. Okay, yeah. The solo mirror issue where she was grocery shopping, and, and these cops even say it. They say, we have some unfinished business. Mm-hmm. Don't do anything you'll regret. You don't want to make a scene like the last time. Right. Because she faced cops off in the same grocery store, and she did a bunch of amazing things with water. And so uh, it's just interesting that they're calling back to that. So Now, if she goes to prison, who's going to feed Salty? That's, I know. That bothers me very much. Somebody's got to take care of Salty. Exactly. She's not going to go to prison. She's not going to go to prison. She's going to join the Justice League. There you go. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, I said I really enjoyed both these issues. I I, I think John's is doing a, a great job on them, and uh, I really think, like I said, I think Paul Peltier and Parsons are coming into their own on the book. And uh, you know, if uh, if uh, anybody ever wants to buy the that full page shot of Aquaman and the Fish and send it to me, I would uh, gratefully accept it. I would agree. Or if someone ever wants to, you know, make a poster, let us know, and we'll promote it. And that's probably that's more great. likely that that would happen. But okay, yeah, yeah, that would make yeah. a great poster. Take off oh, the balloon. Really? Take off yeah. the balloon. It would make a superb poster. Yeah, it absolutely. absolutely would. Yep. Reminds me a little bit of Tom Fleming. Uh, he's an artist who did an Aquaman painting for the Versus trading card series, mm-hmm. and it's okay. a very majestic Aquaman under the water. And around him are lots of fish and uh, an octopus, and it just looks very majestic. And there's, there's sea creatures and stuff. Or there was, there was. I used to have a lot of Aquaman posters. Um, <laughs> there's that one that looks. It looked really bad. It looked like a Fabio cover kind of thing, a Harlequin romance Fabio cover. 
Because it's Aquaman in his in his beardy, but what do you call it, bedraggled or whatever? <laughs> bedraggled loser look. That's what you call it, yes. Where he's got you know the hook hand and the beard and all that, and it was you know the '90s version. And he's standing underwater, very Fabio-like, you know, with a sunken ship in the background behind him. It's it's a but it's a painted poster. So yes. it's a beautiful artwork. And it's by my ship, pal Craig Hamilton. Okay, yeah, yeah. And the ship is beautiful, and the, all the sea creatures are beautiful surrounding it. It's just Aquaman just looks like I had it on my wall for a while, and I was like, I, I can't leave that up in my room and Aww. bring girls back here. It just I, it's not going to work. Yeah, it was the kind of painting that was the problem. Um, <laughs> no, it looked very Fabio. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You know, like hunky hunky guy, and I'm like, I don't, it's not going to work. Just because we're on this, um, I and you mentioned verses. I'm fortunate enough. Craig Hamilton did a beautiful painting for a versus card of, of classic Aquaman on his seahorse, and he's doing Woo! and he's doing the you know sound, and he's surrounded by forty bajillion fish, kind of like he is in this this two page spread here. Oh wow! And uh, I'm friends with Craig, and uh, this was several years ago, and. For my birthday, um, Darlin Tracy contacted Craig and bought the original for me, <gasps> and no I way. I have it. it I, we have it on the wall here. It's right behind me as I'm talking. And that's it, so cool. It is. A, it's it's done all in like pastels and colored pencils, and it is just unbelievable. And uh, <sighs> you can find it on the shrine. Um, we'll actually, you know, we'll include the link on the the, the show notes. Um, okay. Because it is a absolutely gorgeous paint. I mean, it's just, it's like the work of a madman, someone that would sit there and draw all this. It's its insane, so. Um, and where where can people find this, you said? Very funny. <laughs> Some, you said it's on the web somewhere? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Alright, alright. Well, anything further? <laughs> no, no, I think that's sufficient, thank you. No problem. I'm there for you. I got your back, brother. All right, folks, let's get on to some really good comics. Now, uh, we have <laughs> The Fury of Firestorm. No, you're going to just, just keep all these jokes up while they last. Okay. <laughs> oh, dang. That was cold. Fair. I earned it. I deserved it. That's true. absolutely deserved it. I don't know that it's fair to Firestorm, but it was fair to me. I'll give you that. Okay. So, The Fury of Firestorm. What's, you keep talking, don't you? Did I talk during your summaries? Yes! <laughs> Uh, I suppose that's true. Okay. The Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man, number 17. So, um, going to start off with the cover. you got a Dan Jurgens and Ray McCarthy cover. It is a wonderfully classic kind of superhero confrontation cover. You know, Firestorm is, is in a heroic sort of blasting pose coming up out of the water, but he's got, you know, Kid Flash on the ropes. Robin's trying to punch him. He's blasting Solstice. It's just one of those great hero versus hero covers. You know, it's like, you know, oh, I love this kind of stuff. And, of course, Jurgens and McCarthy are masters at, you know, this kind of stuff. And uh, it's a great-looking cover. It's really nice. The colors pop. The Having them stand in the murky water it really just kind of adds something to it. Uh, I like it. I dig it a lot. Yeah, it's very nice. Classic superhero Donnie Brook. Classic superhero what? Donnie Brook. Donnie Brook? Yes, it means fight. Ah, there we go. Okay. Thank you for the education. You're welcome. Kids, the more you know. So, um, like, unlike you, I will show respect and name the creators here. Dan Jurgens is on story and pencil art. Ray McCarthy finished ink art. Carl Kiesel also finished ink art. Travis Lanham on letters. Hi-Fi on colors. Uh, then you've got, of course, Firestorm created by Jerry Conway and Al Milgram. Yay! Woo! So, uh, the basic premise of the story is it's 
The last issue finished the first Dandrigan storyline. Issues 13 through 16 covered one storyline involving Dr. Megala and Captain Adam in establishing the new norm for Firestorm. This issue is a one-and-done sort of cleanup from the previous one. It'll work well in a trade paperback because it continues, but it's also a nice one-and-done story. The gist of it is starts off with Firestorm going back to Mount Rushmore to undo the damage done by Dr. Megala. Dr. Megala was in control of the Firestorm body, redid the Mount Rushmore faces, and Ronnie is trying to fix that. So it's a nice moment of Ronnie making those efforts, trying to repair the damage that uh, that a quote-unquote Firestorm has done, because the, the Firestorms have a terrible reputation right now, and Ronnie's trying to undo some of that. And he has a great interaction with some soldiers in a helicopter I, where he comes in and basically says, hey guys, get off my back. I'm not trying to cause any trouble. Then the next big sort of story point is you, you get the story of Ronnie Raymond and um, Jason Rush along with their friend Tanya, who has written a term paper for Ronnie. She, she, Ronnie was in a bind. He had to be firestorm. He hadn't done his homework, so Tanya wrote a paper for him, and uh, Ronnie turned it in. And now it turns out that it's won a prize, uh, the Young Scholars Competition. It won first place. So Ronnie's in the awkward position of the paper he turned in with his name on that he didn't write is winning an award, and Tanya's not getting the credit for it, and he's getting too much credit for it. So he's struggling with what he feels like he should do with that. So that made, that was a great, nice little subplot. Well, you know, I'll talk, I'm sorry, I should be doing the review right now. I'll talk more about my opinions later. So, But it continues that cheating subplot that's been going on for five issues now, so it's kind of nice to see that continue. Then Firestorm returns to Star Labs to try and repair the damage he did there, he encounters the Teen Titans who have been watching him closely and were trying to determine whether he was a benefit to mankind or a danger. There is a very classic superhero battle. Lots of fighty, fighty, fight. And, uh, and we'll talk more detail about the fight in a minute. But there's some really good moments in here. And then uh, in the end, Teen Titans recognize that Firestorm is not such a bad guy. In fact, invite him to join the team, and they all call it a day. He does not accept that invitation, by the way. You're saying. No, he doesn't. Ronnie goes, back to his, Ronnie goes back to his teacher, admits that he cheated. His teacher's going to give him a second chance. He runs home to go tell his mom, and she has been kidnapped. And there's a, there's a bloody message scrawled on the wall that says, She's mine now, Firestorm. So, whoa. You know, who, what's, you know, who on earth could have done this until you get to the next caption box? Uh, where it says, A multitude of problems. So, you got to think it's probably multiplex. But it could also be, this really strikes me as Cliff Carmichael style. From the first couple issues of Firestorm, uh, Cliff Carmichael was a cold-blooded murderer. Now, we haven't seen him since, like, issue, I don't know, four or five, something like that. So it'd be a little unlikely he'd show up, but it could be. You know, it could be Cliff, it could be Multiplex, it could be something else altogether. But uh, a very shocking ending that Ronnie's hot mom is missing, <laughs> and... Um, not sure what you know what's going to happen there. Ronnie even is is got, you know he's crying. He's like mom. So it was kind of nice to see him running home. He's so excited to go home and tell his mom that he cheated. Uh, by the way, I've, I've, I've segued now from review to uh, or recap I to think we review now. That out. Uh, he, he he runs home and he's going. He's, he's so excited to tell his mom he got caught cheating and it's okay. I just like that. He's like mom, mom. What did I tell you? What Miss Smith did? And then he's just so upset. So it's. Like, with teenagers, sometimes you forget that they're just kids. 
Like, like a teenager can infuriate you so much that like you wouldn't believe. Not that I'm speaking from experience, but you, you kind of forget sometimes that they're just little kids inside, and they and they still get kind of mommy daddy sometimes. And that's what this is a nice mommy kind of moment, and uh, I liked it a lot. So, all right. So going back, sorry. Um, the Mount Rushmore stuff. I really liked that concept of. Firestorm's powers or the story surrounding him around Firestorm has created a problem with Mount Rushmore. And, and the Firestorm incarnation says, you know, we have to clean up after ourselves. You don't see that very often. You know, in superhero comics, it's usually they throw a lamppost and they move on. <laughs> they call in, uh, they call in very damage rarely control they... or whatever that thing was. Right, exactly. Very rarely do they go back and go, well, I guess I better fix up that two-story townhouse I flew through. You know, so... Uh, it just it, I like that they were comparing, repairing the damage. Um, I thought I, I liked, he made a Simpsons joke, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> I liked that. And then the the helicopter confrontation where the helicopter shoots at him, and he says, "You know what? I've kind of had enough of this." And he goes and phases through the helicopter into the helicopter with the pilots and lets them have it. And says, "You know, look, guys, get off my case. I'm trying to clean up the messes here." I think he delivers a really good message for a teenager. It's kind of funny how the, the one pilot's like, his head's on fire. I'm going to put it out as he reaches for the fire extinguisher. But that was a, that was a nice moment. I liked that. You know, I mean, it's not going to probably result in anything because uh, General Eiling has no intention of letting Firestorm off the hook. But it's a nice moment of Firestorm standing up for himself and actually what I thought was kind of a decent way to confront the situation. Yeah. Rather than turning the helicopter into, a, you know, I don't know, a parachute. Well, Firestorm was nice enough to turn Matt Rushmore back. Yeah, and he did it properly. So hopefully he left the bad guy secret headquarters that you access through um, Washington's nose. Hopefully he left that intact. So now it's interesting that that the Teen Titans appear in this comic because Dan Jurgens actually has uh, a, a pretty decent history with the Teen Titans, just not this incarnation. This is the New Fifty Two incarnation. Which is a little different, but, um, you know, he, he wrote and drew Teen Titans for a while. It just happened to be his own team of Teen Titans. So I, 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 even though they're different characters, it made me happy to see him drawing the Teen Titans again. And I'm always happy to see Tim Drake. So, And I don't read the current Teen Titans title, so I'm happy to get my Tim Drake where I can. And I hear there's a, a slot opening for a new Robin, so uh, maybe Tim Drake could uh, fill that role. Okay, can I just address that for a second? Like, a lot of people are losing their freaking minds that they killed Damian Wayne. Like, I've seen, like, crazy talk on the internet about this. And maybe I'm just a jaded old comic reader. But the first thing that comes to my mind is like, oh, they killed Damian Wayne, the grandson of Raja Ghoul, with all the Lazarus pits. Hmm. How permanent do you think this is? Someone go ahead and start the resurrection clock, okay? Let's time this one out. Let's see how long it takes. Now, maybe it'll be a little while. Maybe it won't be Grant Morrison that brings him back. Maybe it'll be someone else. But come on. He's a fairly popular character in the sense of like a J.R. Ewing kind of character, the character you love to hate. And I believe the editorial staff like the character. So he's Batman's freaking son. It's... Folks, it's for those of you freaking out. It's really, it is just a matter of time, you know. But I get it, you know. When I was nineteen and I was twenty and or so, and they killed a character, it was like, "Whoa, oh my gosh, they killed my favorite character! I can't believe this is happening." Not to realize that, you know, give it a year, the guy will be back. 
So it's um, it just the 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 amount of crazy reaction to them killing Damian Wayne is just blow me away. Like it's, it it seems to me like anyone would go, oh gosh, I can't believe they killed him. I'll have to wait a whole six months till he comes back. <laughs> I had to get that off my chest. So. I like that Firestorm tried to recreate the building at Star Labs and failed. You know, he showed his confidence the whole way through, but still didn't have the oomph to do it. I liked that. I thought that was very telling. I, I think showing a limitation of a character's powers is one of the best ways you can define the character. You know, so you really get a sense that, by golly, he's not giving up, but he just doesn't have it in him. So that's cool. Speaking of slots on the teams, they, they did offer him a position with yes. the Team Titans. In... I like that because he is a teen. A lot of people used to say Firestorm belonged in the Teen Titans. I like that they offered him the position for the first time legitimately. And, you know, I obviously I like that he turned it down. But um, I just, you know, I thought that was good. So man, like, hell four. with you guys. <laughs> and he even mentions it's not, you know, the Justice League. Oh, funny. I guess this takes place before he, he joins the Justice uh, League. Uh, uh, Jason says, you really gave them your phone number? Why not? They might not be the Justice League, but it's nice to be asked. Oh, okay. That's what you mean. But still, it's it's this is before he. I assume he has made the offer to join the Justice yeah. League because by then he'd be like, "Oh, get yeah, out of my face, Team Titan." So. Now there there was one panel. Well, I was, I'll talk about the art in a minute. Um, I do like the whole cheating subplot with the teacher and and Tanya. I felt that it was a very kind of Jerry Conway teenage high school kind of plot, which is perfect for a Firestorm comic. You know, it's just it just it's perfect. So now to talk about the art real quick. The there's two great pages in the beginning that I really really like. Actually, I mean there's several, but the one page where Firestorm is uh, being blasted by the helicopter, that mm-hmm. splash page. Firestorm's just sort of arcing his back, kind of dodging the blast. That is a great looking Firestorm. You know, um, it's a, it's a great shot. I like the action or you know orientedness of it. Now, for what I, I felt like is the perfect Firestorm, if you go a couple pages later, where he's flying away from the helicopter. Like, he's already phased into the helicopter, and now he's flying away from it. Like, that is the perfect Firestorm. It's That's exactly what Firestorm should look like. He's smiling. He's flying. There's an atomic symbol from where he flew through. You got Jason's head in the background. It's like, that's just, that to me, was I don't know, just that one panel was like, that is the perfect Firestorm. And at that point, it all hit me. Like, I'm reading a brand new classic Firestorm comic. Because, you know, the, the four-issue storyline was great, but it felt like a, you know, a four-issue storyline. And here it's a one-and-done, it's just a one-shot Firestorm story, and it, like, it felt, made me feel the whole comic was right. And Firestorm looks right. I, I, I almost had to pinch myself. And then, it, like, a huge slap in the face, like, oh, God, it's all coming to an end in three issues. It's a lot of violent imagery. You're being pinched, slapped. <laughs> What's going on over there? No, I agree. <laughs> that You know, I mentioned, like, the Kapow moments from, from the, the guys on Aquaman. But Jurgen's really, in, in every issue that he's done on, on this book, has delivered at least, like, one or two very iconic Firestorm panels, you know, that, that you could clip out and use as, oh, I don't know, let's say, who's who page? Absolutely. Well, the one in this issue, and that's jumping ahead a bit, but the one in this issue is the, um, what do you call it, statement game? Yeah, the statement game page where he just, it's a full page splash where he blasts the Titans and he's yelling, I've never heard of it! And uh, knocks them all on their butt. It's just, that's a great sort of blah page because it's, it's preceded by five really skinny vertical panels. 
which, I mean, this really, really clever panel design on Jurgen's part here. You get the five skinny vertical panels, so you, you feel a little claustrophobic reading the, that page, and then you get to the full-page splash, and it makes that splash have that much more of an effect. So, really, really well done there. Absolutely. I, and the coloring, too. I mean, I, I, I should have mentioned Hi-Fi earlier. They always do a fantastic job, Brian Miller and his folks, on coloring. But here, where the statement game starts, like the whole world becomes orange. He's just radiating so much energy there. And then when he's rebuilding Star Labs, that orange energy, orangey red again, it's just, whoa, so impressive. You get one of my favorite Firestorm tropes, and I've mentioned it before in the show, but just where Firestorm comes in for a landing, and just before he touches ground, he splits into Ronnie and Jason, and Ronnie and Jason are actually the ones that touch the ground. I know it's a silly thing, like, to, to care that much about it, but it just, that screams Firestorm so much to me. It, like, uh, makes me happy every time I see it. So we got another one of those. I'm so happy. And I, and I noticed in this issue, and I'm surprised I didn't notice it before, Ronnie is wearing his varsity jacket through the whole issue. And it's it's just it's just a tiny touch, but like he should be, he should be wearing his varsity jacket all the time because that's who mm-hmm. Ronnie is. You know, it's just a great it's his costume, if you will, as Ronnie Raymond. So I really dug that. I like that. And then um, you know, two two last comments on on the art in this book, the the structure of the building when he's trying to reconstruct Star Labs. I just really like that. Now you you know more about art and coloring and stuff than I do. Maybe it's just color hold. I don't know. But when Ronnie's trying to rebuild the structure of Star Labs and the image, the, the building is starting to glow into existence, the lines themselves are bright yellow rather than black mm-hmm. pencil lines or whatever. I don't, what is that process called? Uh, you just that? drop that in with the color. You, the, uh, I mean, you probably could draw it in and, and you put it in maybe with a blue line pencil, which doesn't reproduce, but that might be probably an old way of doing it. You probably just indicate to the colorist. Um, Maybe like even an overlay, and just say, just drop this in, in in the color form. So that's that's a drawing that High Five. Did. I mean, the drawing itself was probably by Dan or Ray McCarthy, done in some sort of like you know layer that can just be removed, and then. Uh, but but the the drawing itself is done by High Five. Gotcha. It's a it's a great that one panel where he's reconstructing the building and it's glowing like that. It's just ah wow, just really something about how the way Firestorm's powers work. How does he know how to reconstruct things? Like, he doesn't possibly know how things are built. So do his powers just do it for him? No, I think I think that's why he failed with the building, actually. Okay. Um, but with Mount Rushmore, it's he actually stated they, they studied it for okay. a long time. And that one's a little easy because there's no real structure. It's just stone that's okay. been carved. You know, so there's no internal structure, if you will, other than the supervillain cave in George Washington's nose. In this case, you know... It, Kid Flash even kind of said it. I dug that where he's like, you know, they're talking. Uh, Robin, Red Robin says he's trying to re- – it hurts me to call him Red Robin. Tim Drake, fine. Tim Drake says he's trying to reform all that debris back to what it was. It must be exhausting. And Kid Flash says every room, every desk, every scrap of pa- paper and little staple, you know, that is what Firestorm's trying to do. He's trying to take all the pieces that are on the ground and rather than, you know, just transmute one thing to another, he's trying to – essentially transmute it back to what it was and he can't do it it's just too much there's too much structure for him based on his knowledge and his and his willpower at this point and i i think that's great that they showed that you know like i always think whenever he creates a like if he creates a car or something in my mind i always think okay it's not really a car it's just something he's moving that's right, shaped like a car right. 
because he does not understand every piston and every drop of oil and the way it moves and stuff like that. So, yeah, he ha- I think he, he has to completely understand okay. his structure to make it work. So a lot of times he's just changing one substance into like one element into another element because you know, he, he gets the atomic structure and Jason can help him coach through taking something from, you know, maybe nitrogen to hydrogen. Okay. That kind of thing. So, and now I said uh, two things. I covered one. Now here's the last one. The, the, the bloody wall, extraordinarily effective. Um, very spooky with, with Ronnie going in there and seeing that. And then there's just an, one little touch that I, I was sort of fascinated with. There's a little tiny bloody skull. Underneath it, so she's my, she's mine now, Firestorm. It's got the bloody skull, and I'm sitting there looking at. It, I'm like, I wonder if that represents something. You know, just is that bloody skull supposed to mean something? So I don't know. It's uh, it's creepy as hell. I mean, that panel really sort of kind of bothered me. It was so creepy. So it, and it wasn't just the blood. I guess it was just because it's it was in his home. Yes, yes. You know, it's sort of the idea of you know. Your home is always safe until the day gets broken into and you have to walk into your house and you feel like you're walking into a stranger's right. house. You know, it's, it's that kind of feeling. It's just like, ooh. Well, overall, I really enjoyed this issue. I think it's another success for Dan Jurgens. I think that it really is a wonderful one-and-done story and it shows you what can be done with this character and with, with Firestorm and how they can do these – they could have done these great one, you know, four parts – one and done. Just do a mishmash of stuff to make a great trade paperback, and yet it's not one big long writing for the trade. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it just breaks my heart. It really does because I really felt like I was reading a classic Firestorm comic. Well, we've we've been, we've been doing I, that I don't for mean a like you, I know, but it, I guess because it's a one and done, it just it felt mm-hmm. different. You know, um, it was. It, I'm not saying he ripped off Conway. No, That's not no, what I'm no, saying no. at all. But it it felt like it. You could slot it into, you know, that sort of same vibe. <laughs> you got to like, work oh. that in, don't you? A vibe? <laughs> I didn't mean to. So if I was really trying, it would have worked in the word <laughs> reverb too. So or echo, I think is what is. I think reverb changes name to echo. If I remember. I don't know. So, but great comic, and uh, it will be sorely, sorely missed when yes. it's gone. But we still got a couple months left. Let's not. We still got three more. I know. I'm. I'm stuck. I'm starting to get a little sad now. It's just like, oh, every time I... Uh, I know, but you jump, right. but anyway, you jump ahead. Right. You, you're already bemoaning the end of the Who's Who podcast. We still have like nine years of that, so... <laughs> Calm down. We still got, still got three, wait, wait, three months of Firestorm? 18, 19, 20? Okay. So, yeah, so, 18, 19, 20. It looks like they're going to be great. Right. I mean, we get, we're get we getting Multiplex. We're getting Killer Frost. I think we're getting Slipknot. Right. You know, maybe right. I'm alone no, in that. I, I don't I know. I support you in that. Oh, yay! Uh, and then, you know, whatever's going to happen in that last issue looks like fun because Firestorm's actually dragging Ronnie and Jason away on the cover, which is just a fun cover. Yeah, it is cover. a nice cover. Yep. Well, that's, uh, that's all I got. This, um, it was a good, good batch yes, of comics. Yes, a lot of things said. This is like a new, uh, on the Aquaman front, this is like a totally new golden age for the character. He hasn't had a golden age, I'd say, for 40 years, since before I've been around. Since, Since the Silver Age, age. <laughs> um, this is really a gold nature him, and uh, th- this has been great sort of chronicling this, and it's just continuing. You know, he, t- losing losing the, the, the guys, you know, could have been like a death blow because some books just can't survive, but uh, but no, right. they seem to be finding their you know the guys, the new guys, Pelletier and Parsons are finding new footing, and this is good. And you know, it's a sh- we've said it before, it's a shame that Firestorm's not going to get the chance because Firestorm has found its footing. And uh, that's Absolutely. A, a really darn shame. I, 
suggested. I think I mentioned this in the Firestorm fan. There's some site called Firestorm fan. Um, I don't, I don't go near uh, it because there's lots of crazy polling that I don't agree with. Um, that uh, <laughs> you know, the polling by the time they hear okay. this poll will be over, so we'll have our, um, we'll have but, our winners. But I think if DC was smart, <laughs> um, they should put out a. And I know, I know, they always say, oh, anthologies don't sell, blah, 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 blah. But put out a Justice League anthology book. Because right now, obviously with Vibe, they're, they're christening everything Justice League something, Justice League this, Justice League that, because that's, that's obviously the brand that's selling it. Well, they've got to do that for right. Vibe and Katana. Right. But come no, on. <laughs> saying, they, they've, they, DC has now established that, that, that the Justice League brand is, is a brand they, oh, I see. they're pursuing. They're putting in their... Yes, I mean, if you, if you look at the cover of Justice League and Justice League of America, they have the right. same logo. They of just America, have one right, word yeah. difference. So I would suggest putting out, now that they've canceled Hawkman and Firestorm, um, I would suggest putting out a Justice League anthology title featuring all the different JLA members in solo series, but everybody gets like 15 pages, you know? So, like, fill a book with yeah. the Atom, Firestorm, Hawkman... And whoever else you want to do it. And that way the book isn't reliant on any one character. I, I think I you know, call well, it like, in order to make it in order to make it work, you'd probably have to have like Batman Batman fine. have a lead story. Oh first. you know, geez. We're, we're, uh, well, I I don't agree with it, but No no no, I'm saying that DC. totally. I mean that so that would take like two seconds to figure out, you know, oh tell another Batman story. Um <laughs> no, but that, why well, why not? Like call it like, you know, Justice League whatever. Justice League eighty just like oh, there you go, perfect. And have you know have Batman in the lead, or say I don't know, fan favorite Aquaman, and uh, and feature Hawkman. You can feature all those other side characters. Why not do it? Why not do that? And that way you're keeping them all current, but you know none of them have to carry like their own book. You know, um, writing backup stories. I mean, they, they did it a couple years ago in DC. They, they they didn't call them backup stories. They called them something. <laughs> Extra features. They they had a little marketing term or something they were using. Um, That they did Metal Men. They did uh, who else did they do? They did Ravager. um, They did a few of them. I bought a couple books just for the backup features. I remember that. Yeah, exactly. And I thought that was a great idea. And even if they couldn't do an anthology series that was essentially several backup features in one book. Uh, it would be neat if they – I understand they are supposed to do a man, Martian Manhunter backup strip in Justice League of America, okay. I believe, which I think which I think is a great idea. If they could rotate that around, it would be even better. If you can't get their own strip, put them in the back. Like, you know, Shazam's got right. one right now. So that would be a perfect way to do something like that. And you could uh, – you know, writing short stories is sort of a lost art yes. in comic books yes. nowadays. I mean, writing an eight-page story – for a comic book, used to be like a regular thing. Well, that was how you trained the new guys, was, was giving them the, the little short features. Did you say new gods new or new guys? <laughs> yes, that's how you trained <laughs> Calabac and Orion. Right. This is how I trained Light Ray. <laughs> so I, in fact, I think it was Marty Pasco on a Word Balloon podcast, which, by the way, is an amazing podcast if you, if you don't listen. Just if, go, go to Word Balloon and find the Marty Pasco podcast. They're so worth it. If I've said that here before, I apologize, but God, he's so interesting to listen to. I didn't, I kind of thought it would be like, oh, you know, not an old timer, but you know, these aren't really, you know, current, but you know, I'll try it. Wow. The dude is totally in the know. He's, he's what's a fun going guy on. and he does not he, mince words. 
No, exactly. And he worked in animation for a number of years. I didn't realize he worked in the licensing side with the animation folks for years. So he was in the industry as recently as a couple of years ago. So he, he, he gets it. He knows what's going on even nowadays. And uh, anyway, he, it was one of the things he talked about in a podcast was just sort of writing the short stories, a lost mm-hmm. art form. You know, in comics, so it, it would be great yeah, to bring I mean, that back. So, and I don't, I don't mean just a backup strip that goes, you know, I don't know, seven parts. So you take eight pages and you put it all together and it makes a comic, and that's really their story. Like, no, I mean an eight-page story that is one and done in eight pages. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I've been talking recently to um, my pal. I get to say that J.M. Demetrius, and he he's a big proponent Woo! of because he got his he cut his teeth on. Backup features. And he wrote a little short story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, um, I'm doing this article on Red Tornado, which I mentioned before. He wrote Red Tornado for World's Finest, doing doing like oh, really doing like little eight page features. And he also wrote a lot of the mystery titles and like GI Robot and and he totally credits learning his his skill set by getting th- that training ground. So I think you know it's almost a lot to ask of a writer to be like, oh, okay, you know, you're you're new at this comic thing. Here, here's a book, and figure out how to do it. With everybody watching and the internet ready to pounce at a moment's notice, it's it's a lot to ask. Well, that's why they had sh- that's why they had books like Showcase yeah. back then and, and weird weird tales yeah. and you, yeah. Did you um did you see the news? I think I think it was news today. In fact, about JM's new project. Uh, what was it? He and Keith Giffen are back together again. Um, they're dating again, and they're working with Scott Collins, your former um classmate. Uh, uh, Classmate, thank you. And they are doing a large. Oh, I did see that. Yes, they did see that. And like I'd heard they were gonna, I heard DC was gonna produce a Larflees book, and I had zero interest. Like not that I was opposed to it, but I'm like, oh, okay, well, not my thing. But it makes sense. He's a very popular sort of anti-hero character or whatever, or, or mischievous person. I get it, you know. But then when I heard it was them and Scott Collins, I was like, oh gosh, <laughs> like. I may have to get that book because because they're really funny. I mean, it's sort of like so if someone's given them like the the Nort right, character, right. The, you know, some people call him Gunnort, but Nort from Justice League International, and like turn it up to eleven, you know, and write it. It's kind of what they've given him, given them. So it's like, oh, I may have to read that comic. <laughs> and it's been a long, it's been a while since I've read a Green Lantern comic, so. I could. I'm. I'm sorry. I'm just kind of all over the place at this point. <laughs> we're but just sort of rambling I'm, here at the end. We missed each other, folks. But we're we just, haven't been just, together in three weeks, so. But it's fun to talk. It's it's like we're having our own little geek talk episode <laughs> right at the end. Hey, you know something we failed to mention, and we failed to mention. I think pretty consistently, but someone wrote in and mentioned it in feedback. I think it was maybe um, Joe Slab was writing from the corner liquor store on, yeah, on, on the, the back phone. of a paper but, bag. <laughs> Crumpled up wino bag. Anyway, when Aquaman's fighting, when the Justice League's fighting the Aquaman folks, mm-hmm. the Atlanteans mm-hmm. in the Justice League comic, you see, in, even in that amazing two-page spread, before Aquaman shows up, uh, actually, I'm sorry, wait, hold on, I should get my facts right here. Okay. The first two-page spread that's got the Justice League ancillary team fighting Orm and the Atlanteans, right before the, the, the big five show up, you actually get to see... Uh, in addition to some of the, you know, Peter David-looking Aquaman, you also get to see the camouflage, Aquaman yes, camouflage suit. Yes, we did. Did we mention it last time? Okay. Because, like, I remember we missed it, and yeah, then someone no, no, pointed yeah, it out we, to we us. Did, we we, we, we both it. missed okay. it, and then Joe pointed it out. Joe's very detail-oriented okay. on that stuff. 
And this is the Craig Hamilton, you know, blue suit mm-hmm. of Aquaman that, you know, we just are so in love with, folks. So, cool stuff. By the way, I meant to ask you, is that Orm that actually shot Firestorm? Because I think it is. Yes. It's a trident. Yes, it is. It's Firestorm. Firestorm. It's Ocean Master. Yep. So that's pretty cool. I mean, you know, if, if, if Firestorm's going to be taken out, at least it's by the big guy. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, my boy. I'm really looking forward to all of them hanging out at the uh, Watchtower. I want to see that that issue, or those issues. I know you've been. I know you've been talking. I heard you like in between in between naps when I was listening to views from the long box. I heard you mention something like that. Um, I don't know that you're no, going to get I that know. though. I, know. I mean, they should have. You know, everyone used to pick on Just League International because the, the running gag was, you know, Tuesdays is pizza night or something, and everyone's like, ah, I don't like that, or you loved it, one or the other. But they could really use a um, just subplot issue where people hang out. Yeah, I like it. They don't yeah, have to have a fight. It's, it's nice to do you know? a quiet thing every so often. It's good. We, we, used, to, we used to do that in role-playing. Um, we used to call it Diceless Nights, where everyone would be in character. You'd roll no dice for determinations of anything. Everything, you just had to talk it out. And it was sub, they were subplot nights. Because we have so many running subplots because they were comic book type stories, you know, and, and we, you would just, you know, your characters would argue, they'd have, you know, reconciliations, and, you know, they'd work through issues where they don't trust each other, and, it's, you know, that's the kind of stuff that would be great to read about. I would enjoy that. I would like to see, you know, Martian Manor, I'm not Martian Manor, um, Cyborg build his relationship. I guess Cyborg and Shazam are going to be buddies, I hear, you know. Nice to see that. It would be nice to see them sort of connect. It'd be nice to Firestorm, get a chance to talk to people. It'd be nice to see. You know, Batman and Aquaman hanging out by the, the aquarium, <laughs> having a chat or whatever. I used to... W- w- the water, literally the water The, the issues that, that where they did the JLA, JSA issues, and they would always intro them and exit them with, um, with like, a party. They were all get together at a party. I used to love those. Yeah. Just, I loved all the little chit-chat. You can't all, you know, I don't want to see two whole issues of it, but it was nice to get a couple of pages of them just having drinks and sitting around chewing the fats, I, I, you know, I'd like to see that again. Especially, you said, if you're going to make, if you're going to dra- drag in all these other new heroes, why not? Why not do it? You know, the first issue I ever got at Justice League was, the first one I owned, I guess it was 171, I think it was? It was the, it was a JLA, JSA team up. It was Mr. the death Terrific. of Mr. Terrific. And it starts off with that JSA, JLA mm-hmm. party. You know, where, where Green Lantern, I want to, both Alan Scott and Hal Jordan have created, like, little green hands that are going all the way, the longest way around the room to, like, I don't know, get potato mm-hmm. chips out of the mm-hmm. potato chip bowl or something, you know, and they're all just hanging out and shooting the shit, you know, and, and Huntress is talking to, to Batman, and there's, like, a little, you could feel there's a little tension there because her, her dad's dead, and, you know, it's, it was just really cool scene, especially for me coming into, you know, Justice League at that time, because it because this is really before I connected with Just League, because you know, I didn't connect till the Detroit years, but it was still the first one I ever owned. And uh, it was just really neat moments. Yeah, I who still would not love want those. to go to that party? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, Firestorm's in the corner well, trying to figure out how to hit not, on power. That, not, not at that point. Not at yeah, that point. Yeah, that, that was right around the I corner. So, folks, just so you know, we, Rob and I have been sort of talking. We do, we are formulating plans for how to handle um, once the Firestorm series ends. Uh, what, how we're going to handle these review episodes. Yeah, I mean, clearly we're still going to talk about Justice League. Uh, well, assuming Firestorm and Aquaman appear in the comic. If they don't, we yeah, might I not. Think, right, I think, <laughs> that's, I think that's the, rule, the, the you know, uh, informal rule, is if either one of them is in the book, we'll talk about it. And if they're not in the book, then we yeah. can skip it for that month. Oh, speaking of that, Aquaman, I mean, Firestorm made uh, Channel 52 this week. Oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah. Uh, it just 
just to see Firestorm on the same comic page <laughs> as Ambush Bug just warmed my heart. I was like, yay! I don't care if it's, you know, whatever, not real, whatever. They're there together! <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, you know, we'll, we'll definitely cover Aquaman. We'll definitely cover Justice League if it's relevant. And, uh, you know, we we may have something else to review instead. So, And, no, it will not become the... Um, you know, Aquaman and uh, Threshold Hour. It's not what we're talking about. <laughs> I don't about. even know what that is. Threshold is a sci-fi book they publish right now. I you don't, don't even know, know about it? I literally don't know what that is. No idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what are you just saying random words? Threshold? <laughs> I'm just looking okay, in a dictionary just saying and random things. Out okay, the Aquaman and Crockpot Hour. Sure, whatever. Why not? So, anyway, um, if you want it, we're gonna make seafood what? gumbo. We're gonna make yes, seafood if, gumbo. Anyway, let's let's wrap this up. If you want to contact the show, please email us at firewaterpodcast.net, and you can follow our follow our Tumblr, which is firewaterpodcast.tumblr.com. And Shag, where can you find yep. our respective sites? Uh, you can find uh, my site firestormfan at that firestormfan.com. You can also find me on Twitter, Facebook. Tumblr, I'm forgetting something. Twitter, Facebook, Google Tumblr, Plus. and ah. Google Plus. Oh, oh, I did it myself. Oh, irony, thy name is Shag. Hey, just so you know, you Google Plusers, I got no faith in you anymore. There's nothing happening over there, like at all. It's it's a ghost town. I'm I'm still trying to participate, but there's nothing to do out there. Anyway, so you can find uh, me on all those uh, social media sites as Firestorm Fan. You can find my good friend Rob Kelly at AquamanShrine.com. You can also find him on Twitter and Facebook at the same. And uh, Rob, well, you know, why don't you? Um, since we're just chatting, why don't you talk about East Kilroy for a second? Uh, well, on. we're th- well. Thank you for that uh, un unplanned plug. Uh, we're. Uh, we're in the we're not in the middle. We're at say we're heading into the final third of the second season. Um, for any of you who's listening to this as it's as it's uh, just as it's airing or just as we did, you've uploaded it, um, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Anyway, um, if you're listening to this episode when we plan for you to listen to it, um, good luck. Well, I don't know. I mean, Michael Bailey close to its initial release Bailey's day. Bailey's going back folks. and listening to old episodes. I mean, I'm all thrown off my time stream now. We, me and uh, Dan O'Connor, my partner at Ace Killer, will be attending the Asbury Park Comic Con on March 30th, and which uh, is going to have real a really cool lineup. You're going to have um, uh, Al Feldstein from Man Magazine. The Al Feldstein. You're going to have Herb Trimpey, J.G. Jones, Evan Dorkin, like a bunch of really cool guys. We went to the show last year. We had a blast. This year is going to be even sort of bigger and better, and we're going to be having a um, Asbury Park Comic Con exclusive Ace Kilroy pin which we'll be uh, either selling or giving away. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> um, I guess it depends on much, uh, how many books we sell. Um, but we're really looking forward to that. Um, that ought to be a, a real blast. And so if you happen to be in the area at the Asbury Park Comic Con, please come and visit us. I think you'll, you'll really enjoy the show. It's a comic con. Unlike some other conventions, it is a, you know, that, are, that, that sell themselves as comic cons, but are like, you know, movie cons or pop culture cons. No, you know what I mean. It's, you know... <laughs> You're being so vague. We don't no, know what I'm you're talking saying, about. All right. The wizard. I, I know. Is what I I'm, know. Saying. Uh, I'm not saying there's anything Obviously, wrong with it. Or San Diego. Or San Diego. Well, yeah. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It's just some things. No one knows. Yes, you are. No. Anyway, it's a, it's a genuine Comic Con. The people there are there because they're comics fans. And uh, like I said, Dan and I had a blast last year. We got to sit and drink because there was a bar in the same place at the convention. Um, 
<laughs> so, uh, so, so please come and visit us and, uh, you know, say hi. And we would love to meet some of you. I've got, I've gotten to meet some of you guys at conventions, some of the fire and water listeners, and that's been a real blast. So I hope, uh, if uh, you're in town, uh, come visit us. Awesome sauce. And, and we might have, uh, Frank's been complaining about, uh, H. Cooler being in print, it will be back in print very shortly and you'll be able to buy it. Frank, I'll just send you one so you don't have to, you know, reveal your precious credit card numbers over the internet. Join the late 20th century, Frank. Come on. <laughs> All right, folks. That's yeah, going to wrap it up. I think we should end the show uh, in insulting one of our listeners. Uh, he's not a listener so much as he's uh, like a crazy <laughs> uncle. So. All right, folks. Uh, this is going to wrap it up. Thank you for listening. Continue to fan the flame and ride the wave. And uh, we will chat at Bye. you next time. Bye. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land and air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super pair. Aquaman. Super friends forever. Yeah! Yes, John knew why it was. He'd been caught in a trap of his own making and had involved his friends, too. He now found himself looked down on by friends and classmates. But did John really intend to be dishonest? Should Mary share any of the blame? Was it fair for John to use Mary as he did? And what about his classmates? Did John's cheating hurt them in any way? Should they have given him another chance? What do you think?